welcome to The Cyber Show. I'm Cherry Sigmund, your host, cybersecurity authority, entrepreneur, and consultant. Tonight we have a special guest, Mr. Marion Williams. Hi, Marion. Hi, Cherry. How are you doing? Doing great. Happy Sunday. I hope you've had a good weekend, had a good trip. Oh, it's been relaxing. I'm still, I'm still just loving just getting away from the DMV area and just trying to, you know, uh, get out there and, and enjoy the enjoy the open air. Nice little trip away. Uh, I wrote down a uh, inner tube, so that was fun. Oh, awesome! But, uh, looking forward to killing the week. Oh, away from the Beltway. You know, I got, I kind of miss some of those days. We had a lot of fun up there at the, at the Puzzle Palace, which is our, our nickname for the Pentagon. <laughs> and some trips out to the Eastern Shore, oh. uh, out there, uh, uh, Ocean City, Maryland. Yeah. And some really good seafood places. Marion knows the best seafood places all over the uh, yeah. DMV area. So tonight on the Cyber Show, we're going to cover three things. And essentially, the first one has to do with very current topic in the U.S. especially, are elections, mail-in ballots and the security of those, uh, that sort of thing. So we'll talk all about the election and the uh, discussion around mail-in ballots. The second thing is we're going to talk about resumes and how to tweak your resume. Mary has some really good tips on that we were just talking about earlier today. And last, we're going to introduce something that I'm, I'm talking to some folks about, about doing in terms of training videos. And this is in response to feedback and questions from the, the audience and the public about how to do risk management. I mean, really, how do you define the risk in terms of vulnerabilities, threats, and security controls? So there's a series upcoming of training videos that we're going to uh, talk a little bit about at the end. All right, so I'll turn it over to you, Marion. What do you think about mail-in ballots and the security of those? Well... Whenever we do anything in the in the cyber world, right? Um, really, you know, you're doing a task that has existed since the country's founding, right? You always had uh, a way of, of 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 coordinating elections, right? And there's a huge you know, federal bureaucracy uh, that's devoted just to doing that. So whether you have a mail-in ballot or you have an actual physical location where someone goes in, there's always going to be complications related to the media. Right? It used to be you physically went into a uh, location and you voted. Um, and then to account for people who were, say, in the military or overseas, they allow people to mail in ballots. Right. So that's always been the case. Well, this is the 21st century. And so now you have the technology to actually, you know, when you go into your balance, you don't fill out. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, you don't fill out the, the balance anymore. Now you do. It's a little different. When I was in high school and I voted for the first time. Uh, they actually had the machines that you, 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 uh, you pulled the curtain and then you actually clicked off. You, I want to do, I want to vote for this person. Uh, that was, that was it. You know, so that's how you did stuff. And so now you walk into a building and there are actual computers that are set up to coordinate, uh, voting. Well, that's, that, that has a, that has a lot of interesting implications for how people are going to do things because you know, when you click the ballot, you know, there's always there's always the ability for something to go wrong, mm -hmm. fraud or uh, back in, in, in Bush versus Gore, you uh, Bush v. Gore, you had the issue of the hanging Chad and all that kind of stuff. There's a huge number of, of shows on CNN just talking about uh, Chad's. I remember uh, doing, you know, I, actually, I had a class once where actually that was one of our products was actually look through look those uh Look at that discussion and kind of summarize it. Um, so you always had these kind of things that are going on. So as we as we move in, we move forward and we're looking at, there's nothing that says 
uh, I can't use my laptop to cast a vote, right? The big thing in terms of a cybersecurity perspective is how do I authenticate that I am who I say I am? There's also an issue of, well, um, could people could people um, do a man in the middle attack and actually uh, intercept the information and change uh, it and change it, right? <laughs> so there, there are all these kind of issues, but if you think about it, there's always issues because if I if I send something in the mail and there's some unscrupulous people who are intercepting the mail, um, then there's a risk that someone could actually just take my take my ballot and not count it. Right. So you never, ever will get away from a system that is 100 percent foolproof. What you can do is you can you can implement uh, something that uh, Cherry and I have been working on as far as uh Ballots, or in terms of looking at what the security controls, what how would you minimize the risk? Uh, because security is always balancing benefit against the, the cost of a, a control, right? So how do you how do you how do you maximize those kinds of things? Well, the big thing you do with that is try to figure out for the greatest number of people, can you can you make the risk small enough that it's palatable? Because you never eliminate all the risk. But it, can you can you minimize the risk to a point where people can accept it, and it, the greatest number of people in the country are are, are are going to be able to take advantage of it, right? So those are all kinds of concerns, and those concerns have morphed somewhat because of uh, things moving online. Mm-hmm. But they've always existed. Uh, there's always bad actors, and so what happens is just like when you when you have a car. And, you know, back in the 90s, I remember there was, a, there was this, this thing called the club. I'm dating myself, but you you had a club and you actually okay. put the, the club on the, you put it on, on, on you put it on your uh, you put it on your the wheel of your car um, or, you, you know, your, your steering column. And it stopped the person from just breaking in and stealing it. And how I explain that is that stops the kid who's going to who's going to take your car out for a joyride. It does not stop the professional car thief. No. So the issue is, do you want to stop the person who's just doing, you know, has has limited experience and is just trying to play around with stuff? Or do you want to actually stop criminal, criminal, uh, a criminal syndicate from doing something? And the mm-hmm. question becomes is, how do you do that? And is it cost effective to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. So these are all kinds of questions that are that are that are not just about technology, because technology is a wonderful thing, but technology is also something that introduces other challenges, right? Sure. So if I have, if I have a, if I have a, a, a mail-in ballot, I can send that ballot in. And if a person uh, were to infiltrate the U.S. Postal Service, I, that, that my ballot may not ever get to where I need to go. That might happen. It, the mail, the, the person or a, a group of people may say, well, OK, they know what the, the mail-in ballots look like. They're going to reroute the ballots so that they get to a, they get routed to another place, another location, and they're not counted in time for the election. So the dead letter those, drop to the dead letter section. Yeah, there's there, there's all these kinds of things that happen. Um, and the question becomes, how much of a risk are people willing to take? And how, or how much how much a risk are they willing to accept to ensure that the the election that they actually 
are voting for, the candidate that they're voting for, uh, actually their preference for that candidate will actually be reflected in the actual vote count. And so there's all this kind of, it's all this kind of stuff. So the question becomes, is it ready for prime time? My personal opinion, I would say, is as much as I'd like to go online and and just log on to a, a website and authenticate by either, you know, voice print or uh, having an uh, iris scan or, you know, all this kind of other stuff or having even even using something like a one-time password. All of these things would be great if the, 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 the federal government would, in, would improve the amount of money that's going into election security, right? Um, and for whatever reason, there has been a reluctance on the part of the federal government to do that. Uh, there was, I actually worked next to a person, next to a group at Homeland Security that was actually involved in that. Mm. So I was physically located. I didn't do that work. Mm. But the question becomes, could you design a system that would actually make those, those claims there? You know, could you actually say, well, I'm going to reduce the risk to something that somebody would be able to under, to, 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 uh, accept and ensure that the greatest number of voters around the country, uh, irrespective of their political uh, stance, political party, uh, socioeconomic level, racial background, etc., all these kind of characteristics, if I could do that and make sure that everyone was able to vote. You know, if, I, if, if anything else, what I would do uh, as a potential solution was um, there's, there's been a whole call for equity, right? Because African-Americans typically have been, uh, in some areas, they've been, it's been harder for them to vote. So I would say, if you're going to make this available to people, I'd say start with the public libraries. Mm-hmm. Because public libraries... Everybody has access to that. Well, everybody has access to it. Yeah. Um, you can you can, um, you can easily install cameras to uh, have a, a phone. Uh, or have have um, a passport. I've actually done a clearance background uh, investigation in this, co- this this COVID environment where I actually had my passport and my driver's license to authenticate me across Zoom. So I know that the technology exists. It's Corona times, buddy. It's corona corona time. times. <laughs> so there 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 are all these things that exist. The question becomes, how much risk are people willing to, to take? And are people willing to make the investments that are going to be needed to uh, to build up the existing network of computers? Because uh, throughout the country, uh, I don't think there's any uh, any public library that doesn't have internet access, and a lot of them actually have access to paid databases. It's easier to pay. It's easier to pay money to a uh, a service to get access to. Uh, periodicals than it is to actually carry the periodicals, right? Yep. And, you get, and you keep all that stuff up to date. Well, And even LexisNexis. I like to go to the library and use LexisNexis. Right. And and those are all kinds of things. You know, I remember when I was growing up, uh, there was always, if I had to write a book report, I would come home and I'd tell my father, yes, dad, I need to write a book report. And so we'd wait until he finished dinner. And then after that, normally my sister and I would go because my sister loved, loved reading. She's an attorney now. That was kind of like, that's what she does for a living. But uh, she would, you know, we would, get in a, we would get in the family car and we would go to the public library. Now, we wouldn't go to the public library. We'd just go downstairs and get on the computer. 
Right. So these are all kinds of things and the access that the average person has in their in their cell phones is greater than the, the, the computing power of the cell phone is greater in many cases than what put man on the moon. You know, all of these kind of things exist. And you know, the bigger thing is how do you how do you leverage those technologies? How do you how do you uh, make sure that people can do these things in ways that are uh, productive and and cost effective? And I would think that if you looked at the existing infrastructure of the of the library, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's got a high speed connection, right? The the, the uh, a lot of the um, Congress has, has made that um, equipping the, the equipping the libraries with high speed internet connections. They are they're they're they're, make, they're writing that kind of stuff into FCC uh, Congress through the FCC is actually doing that. So it says that they have to provide this kind of service, um, which actually does help the underserved to access the computers and, and access the internet. So all of these are things that are low cost ways of accessing infrastructure, you know, and they could actually use these kind of things in ways that would get um, people out. So for example, you could actually say, well, all right, if you need to, uh, if you need to use a uh, computer um, and you don't have access, libraries are one place. Department of Motor Vehicles is another. True. You know, now with the new, um, there's a new uh, driver's license requirement uh, that you have to have. Uh, that driver's license requires so many, so much more uh, documentation mm-hmm. to establish that you are a U.S. citizen and you have the right to vote. That meets um, the photo ID requirement right there. Right. And I think I, my this year since I moved, uh, my polling place is just down the street at the local high school, the new high school. I don't right. know what the setup's going to be like, but I just know I got a, a mail several year, several months ago about this year, and along with my new card, my voter card. And those and, and those kind of things, even those kind of things allow you to access the you know to access uh, the, the physical place, but. One of the things that happens when you start thinking about a laptop um, or you start thinking about your phone or you start thinking about other types of, you know, whether you have a tablet, phone, um, you know, other kinds of, you know, other kinds of, of technology. All of that is really a means to gain access to uh, the Internet. Uh, and you could easily you could set up a specialty site. It has, you know, they could actually put the, they could put the top, you know, they could put top level encryption on it. Mm-hmm. They could, um, you know, they could do reverse proxying. They oh, could yeah. deny, they could deny, it could put you on a white list. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you, if you want to do stuff from home, they say, okay, you can only do things from home if you have a computer and your computer has been put onto a white list so that when I have a one-time password, when you log in, it's only going to allow you to log in from this machine. Mm-hmm. That's another way of, of, of securing um, access to a site. So these are all kinds of, these are options. And most of these options are not necessarily the most technologically sophisticated. Uh, this, these technologies have been around for at least a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they're mature um, and accepted. And, and there are many government sites that actually use this technology right now. Um, so you can use these things. The, the political will gets into, could you do this large scale, large scale basis? And could you uh, express all of these kind of things out 
spread these things out so that you don't have to run into problems of equity or run into problems of existing infrastructure not being being there. And the other thing that it, it, this also brings up an issue of we've been talking, uh, you know, there's been several episodes we've had in the past where we're talking about there's so much stuff that's going on and people are working from home now and there's all these other uh, opportunities to to do things from home. And how much are your how much are corporations and government customers, uh, clients, how, how much are they actually willing to make things available? Right. Traffic, traffic patterns have changed. So instead of uh, all your traffic originating from one location, it's now originating from a home. All over the place. Right. Yeah. Well, all of that is going to have implications for how you how you access things, what you do. Um, you know, even the time, right? It used to be that, uh, okay, I'm, I know that most people are going to go to work from eight to five, eight to five or nine to five or 10 to six, or, you know, they're going to have these kind of different days, right? Well, all those, all those different times coordinate, they correlate to traffic patterns. So where traffic originates on the, you know, um, um, people can, can hack things, where traffic, in, uh, where, where traffic locates is, it originates from. Is a big determinant of what gets hacked, and to some extent, what are the what are the security controls and the infrastructure requirements to protect data? Because people are not in a building; they're in their own personal homes. Right. Hey, that'd so, be a great. That'd be a great topic for to wrap up on our number three topic. We're talking about the training videos. Let me let me tell you really quick what happened this morning in terms of risk management. Something totally off the wall. Here in South Carolina, we're actually in Sparta, North Carolina. Shortly after 8 o'clock to a.m. today, there was an earthquake. You never have earthquakes in South Carolina. I mean, never. Really, I think the earliest, the earliest one was 1916. So this about it happened about 90, and I felt it. The whole neighborhood felt it. All of my neighbors and neighboring cities felt it. But it was in Sparta, North Carolina, which is about 92 miles north of where I live now. And uh, it's just the whole bed shook. The dogs were barking and all the neighbors were talking about it. I went out to water this morning. The people were walking by. Did you feel that? It was an earthquake. The uh, the Facebook HOA group was blowing up. It was an earthquake. What's going on? And the people who relocated from other places like up north in California were like, oh, it's just an earthquake. And the people here are freaking out because it was 5.1 on the Richter scale. And you don't have that in the Carolinas. Not typically. 5.1. Another 2020 thing. So I think the whole election year 2020, the whole the whole 2020 has been great. People were joking about, well, what's next? A Sharknado? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, just roll things, right? You know, it's already August. I mean, it's already almost mid-August. And before you know it, the year will be over and we'll be ringing in the new year and singing all Lang Syne and here's 2021. But it's been okay. a very interesting year so far. And we'll be doing, we'll probably be doing this on Zoom. New Year's on Zoom. We'll get on Zoom. Yeah, so we yeah. had an earthquake this morning. So that, that's a different segue into another topic. But I I actually did something last night on uh, Pink Wall Street, and I did a little presentation, and I was talking about my career path and success tips and cybersecurity in general. And I was I was going back to some of my days at the Pentagon and just thinking about some things and getting a little reminiscent about that thing. And so that's a great segue into talking about the next topic that we introduced earlier was talking about resumes and how to tweak your resume to match what you're doing and then maximizing your career path. So would you like to speak a little bit about that? Sure. Um, oh my goodness. Um, I've had people who've come to me and uh, 
and, it, and this has been kind of a uh, kind of a consistent thing that's been happening over the last five years at different levels in their career. You know, you have people who are just getting out of college who are just saying, OK, how do I how do I tweak my resume? I want to work for the federal government or I want to work for a nonprofit or and, and most people right now are setting up these entire new uh, these systems that actually they work by keywords. And if you don't, if you don't have your, if you don't have enough of the res of your keywords dispersed throughout your resume, um, that the machine actually acknowledges that yes, the, the things that you're searching for um, are going to be needed, and this is what this is what's tied to this job. Even if you're highly qualified, you will not get access to those things. And I, I ran into this kind of problem myself. Um, because I remember when I, 10 years ago, or actually 11 years ago, when I started, uh, working for CIOG6, uh, in Crystal City, Virginia, uh, I literally applied for a job that I was doing as a contractor. Mm -hmm. The job got sent to Fort Belvoir. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the exact same job. Yeah. And had received high quality, uh, high, high remarks from the client and from Lockheed Martin. And I was deemed not qualified because of how my resume was. Uh, it wasn't SEO, it wasn't search engine optimization friendly. It's kind of like a Google search. The yep. keywords need to be near the top of the resume, right? Is that what I hear you saying? I think it, it needs, needs to be throughout. throughout. I think it needs to be throughout. And, throughout. and in particular, with federal jobs, they have a way of doing that. And so uh, one of the things that kind of got me, uh, just to reflect back on my, my, uh, my days in undergrad, going back to, I majored in public management. As, as an undergraduate. And one of the things that hit me was there was a political scientist by the name of Luther Gulick. And I remember it was just like this factoid, you know, we talked about him and then it's like, okay, we said this and then we went on other stuff. But he came across my mind one day and this was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And every time I've subsequently uh, gone through and I wrote my, I wrote my resume according to this, mm -hmm. um, you know, he had this, this acronym called POSDECOR. And it's like, wait a minute, what positive And all of these are, you know, he's a political scientist. He, he recently died. He died in 1993 at the age of 100. You know, but he, he, grad, he got his doctorate out of Columbia. He, he headed their Institute for Public Administration. Um, and he'd done a lot of work. He was actually uh, uh, asked by FDR to actually look at the federal bureaucracy and define what do they do. And I noticed that as I started writing my resume, according to this kind of, um, uh, formula kind of thing, uh, it actually helps. And so I've actually been able to get people uh, raises, you know, from say uh, one person was IT guy and he had been, he came up from IT uh, and he'd been doing the work. He's now in his, he was in his fifties then, late fifties, and he's doing, P he's, he's managing projects. And all I did was I laid out pause decor, you know, um, just imagine you put this on a, on a wall and you put down, you put these kind of things in, right? And then you take your tasks. So positive corp, I can't remember the exact things, but it stands for planning, organizing, staffing, directing, um, controlling, and I think budgeting. Um, these are all the kind of things. If you look at, if you look at Luther Gulick, uh, he's, he has a Wikipedia page. If you look at those, those core functions, uh, I remember it was my first my first course in, in public administration. They actually talked about that. It was in a, it was in the book, 
And what I did was I just laid out those functions. And then once those functions were laid out, I take a person's resume and I cut and paste. And I say, okay, this task is here. So I have a friend of mine that is, uh, she's trying to get a job with the federal government. So, and she's not even a, she's not a cyber person. She's a, she's a background investigator. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she had got a, she got a, a master's degree from, uh, from Carnegie Mellon. Oh, um, cool. in public policy, very good program. And so I said, okay, let's think about this. Why don't you say, you know, one of her, one thing she did was she was actually in charge of a, a, a project and she had a staff of people that were working for her and she's doing things. And I'm like, okay. And so I said, let's think about what you really did. Okay. I see here you talk about planning. You know, I said, did you do a work breakdown structure for all of these activities that you did? I said, you said, yeah. I said, okay. Well, let's look at this. You took these activities. This report was the, was the end result, right? But to get to this end result, you had to plan and coordinate the activities of all of these people who worked under you. And you had to report out and you reported variances and you, and you led, you led groups. And I said, all of these are activities that, so I, I just looked at, I looked at the resume. I took the, I took the task and I put them in the appropriate buckets. And as I did that, I started to see something. Oh, yeah. So then you get a thesaurus. And you cross-reference the information. Well, look at look at the tasks that that are that you have. Oh, okay. I planned, I organized, I staffed, I coordinated, I did all this stuff, right? I budgeted. Mm -hmm. And then you, you you look for you look for synonyms to those words, and then you rewrite your task according to those words. Now, in terms of um, working in a bureaucracy, one of the things you might want to do is take that bureaucracy and, you know, there's always things that are happening, right? So if you're talking about, let's say this is a, this is a, um, this is a group that's dealing with cyber issues. Let's say, um, let's say Cybercom, Army Cybercom, right? Cyber Command. Okay. If you've got Army Cyber Command, there's a ton of stuff online that's public information. What do you see people doing? What kinds of projects they're doing? I work on a project called ETAS. Uh, enterprise IT is a service, right? So there's all these kind of things. So when I start talking about what I'm doing, I look at what is going on across the army. And I look at different, you know, I look at their, you know, Google, Google the various different uh, keywords. And I look at those things and I say, how does what I'm doing tie into those things? And as I do that, I now have a, I have a, a language of vocabulary for describing what it is I do. Mm -hmm. And if you do that consistently, you'll find that these key words keep showing up. If you're applying for a job that has those keywords in it, well, you're going to, you're going to find, you're probably going to have a greater deal of uh, connection. You're going to, you know, you're going to hit a lot more of those keywords more so than if you just at random describe what you did. But remember Luther Gulick's work was to describe for, for FDR was to describe what does the federal government do? What work does it perform? Those those functions were descriptions of what the federal government performs. Mm -hmm. So as you begin the process of thinking through those things and you tie your resume to those and you tie the keywords to the other kind of pieces, you get a you get a three, you, 
get a, a three-chord chain, right? You've got the, the actual word, the things that the, the federal government does. You've got what you've done, and you've got synonyms that talk to all of those things. So as you start to do that and try to incorporate as many of those key words as possible, if nothing else, someone's going to see your resume because it's going to it's going to bubble up to uh, it's going to bubble up to decision makers. Now, I'm not saying that you, you can't, you know, basically it's no matter what profession. What I hear you saying, Marion, is no matter what profession you're in, we're using cyber as an example. But no matter who you are listening or what you do, if you're applying for a job or wanting to use a, either a CV or resume and make it relevant and get past the automated system to screen you out, make it relevant and friendly to get past the computer to the human so they can actually come, come talk to you or call you in for a conversation. Yeah? Yes. And and I actually, uh, I was hired by the National Security Agency and I, I used that same process. So when they saw all of the things that I had done and I used that way of describing them, it bubbled up to someone looking at it and say, yes, I want to talk to this person. And then they called me and then I interviewed because what you, you have to remember, your, your resume, the whole purpose of your resume, its function is not to sell you. Its function is to get you a, to get you uh, through the door so you can have a conversation. You sell yourself. The sells you. Yeah. The interview. Yeah. Right. The, how you, how you sell yourself is, you know, you have to, you have to get through the door. If you get through the door, then you can then you can talk about what you've done, mm-hmm. and then you know the other thing I would I would say is just make sure that for those tasks you have, have at least two or three examples, you know, so that a person says, well, you tell me about this, then you can actually go into detail about what you've done. If you do that consistently, the person says, well, okay, this person has says that they do these things. They've got two or three examples to explain that, and, and uh, for people who want to be a federal employee. One of the things that happens is they'll have they'll have uh, questionnaires that how they have you say have you done this and they ask you to what extent you've done this. Mm-hmm. So if you do all those kinds of things, if someone actually you get to an actual interview, you'll be in a place to actually say, "I've done these things. I'm an expert in this thing. I've done this," and they they talk about the degree to which you've done this unassisted. Well. I can actually say, well, I've done these things and this is how I've done them. That's good stuff. Well, thanks for that, Marion. So it's time to move on to topic three so we can keep it on time tonight. I think I'll introduce this part because as we're talking earlier, and I've also talked with some other people in uh, virtual chief information security officer roles, VCISO roles. And what we came up with is in the common question, the common thing that's out that people people just have a, a like a fuzzy area. It's a gray area. People don't really understand uh, the, the question comes up a lot about, well, how do I do risk management? How do I really assess what's important? How do I know? And so what we've come up with is something that we're going to create here over the next several weeks, starting with security controls. And basically, we're taking a risk scenario, just choosing one that's very common, this kind of kind of white, uh, white label that's not really branded for a specific company. This is generic across multiple industries across multiple businesses, across multiple public and private sector organizations, a very common type of risk. And with a a pattern, we have in one column will be a list of vulnerabilities, in a second column will be a list of threats, and in a third column on the video, we'll discuss the potential security controls that could address those vulnerabilities and threats. 
and we'll go through in detail one by one and explain those because what we're finding, especially from VCSO Consulting, is that not just the practitioners, but the people on the business side don't really understand the details and the granularity of what the security controls really are. It's just a bunch of, you know, gobbledygook or, or jargon or something that the security nerds talk about. But the idea is to break it down in a one-on-one fashion to make it understandable by the layperson. So it's good for the business, it's good for practitioners, it's good for the owners, the decision makers, the boards, the executives, anybody who might need to understand that. From the vulnerabilities to the threats to the security controls. So that's what we've been up to. Uh, would you like to expand a little bit more on that, Marion, before we wrap for the night? Sure. Um, and business people are already familiar with the kind of controls they're talking about. So, for example, if you're if you're uh, working in an organization, um, in, irrespective of industry, one of the controls that you might have uh, might be that okay, for all purchases above a certain dollar amount, you have to have two signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that you have to have, uh, you know, you, you have mandatory vacations where people have to rotate out so that you can actually start to see, well, okay, no, there's no no single point of failure. Um, you might have other kind of things where you, you get into um, your systems. Maybe you do backups. These are all kinds of things that you do. And it's, um, it's interesting because there's so many things that exist that, if you're not aware of them, um, you know, security security folks uh, in general and IT IT folks in particular uh, oftentimes tend to talk to each other, yeah. and they go into a lot of detail, and that detail is is a way to uh, is to communicate among among peers. Uh, but the problem is when you communicate among peers in ways that don't facilitate understanding. Right. <laughs> um, you, you, you run the risk that the person, you think you've said something that they can relate to. And they, they're just like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. So when you start thinking about those kinds of things, how you set up your systems, how you, how you communicate risk, um, what's important to you, uh, from a risk perspective, is 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 a lot of times dictated by industry. You know, banking and healthcare are two very highly regulated industries, sure. and have different um, they have different appetites for risk and what they're willing to do. Well, that's all that, that's fine and good, but you have to be able to think about well, what do I want to do with respect to risk? Um, how much? Because you can never you can never you can never eliminate it because as you start to mitigate one set of risks, technology comes along and introduces uh, another set. We just talked about that today. When you talk about, it used to be that you would go to a you go to a place and you would get a um, you would get your votes and you vote at, at this place. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that you you know it used to be on paper a paper ballot. You just fill out the person. And now, uh, when I when I graduated high school. Uh, back in the 90s, you literally had a uh, my, my first voting uh, activity was you went. I went to I went into the atrium in our high school, and I closed a, a curtain around me, and I just clicked the I clicked say I, I wanted to vote for President Clinton. That was my first uh, activity as a voter. Right, that was the first election I ever was able to vote in, and I voted ever since. But that changed now because now when I voted just recently. In the primaries for Maryland, I literally went into a room 
I went to a, I went to a, a gymnasium and I voted using a computer. Mm-hmm. I filled out the thing and I, and I, I, I put my, 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 um, my ballot. I went through the computer, checked it. It then sent me, gave me a receipt that said, this is who you voted for. And then I left. I got a little sticker and then I, I left the, uh, I left the I thing. voted. Vote it. I've, done both. I've done paper and computer-based ballots. It's just, it's and these, are, and these are all kinds of things. No matter who you vote for, just get out and vote. It, it's a privilege and an experience that you should take advantage of. Just make your voice heard. I, I'm all yeah. for voting. And that, But all of those kinds of things involve different amounts of risk. Being able to just sit down at your computer and uh, fire up your laptop and, and, and go in and, and log on to a secure site and Boom! Do get, just do a voting. Do voting uh, is a it's a, it's an opportunity. The technology exists, mm-hmm. and there are a number of security controls that actually go along with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could actually make that happen. Um, but the, the the big issue that you have to remember is how much how much risk are you willing to accept 